0: So, you think you might be chasing the world, huh? Really? Well, maybe. Okay, it's time to get real, folks. It's time to get real. What's really going on out there these days? Well, not too many people I know feel like they've been chasing the world. In fact, someone recently said to me, and I'm quoting them, When I think about this past year or so, It's like the whole world suddenly shut down and stopped altogether. Accordingly, most people that I know anyway would say it kind of like this. I've lost at least a whole year of my life with all this pandemic stuff we've had to deal with. Yeah, really. Most folks do not feel like they've been chasing the world, actually. It's more like people have been waiting and waiting. Waiting and wondering very impatiently for the the world to catch up. The world has stalled and maybe even gone backwards for a long time. People are still waiting for the world to finally begin to catch up to the way they would like it to be again, right? Friends, most people would agree with that. But what about God? I can't imagine that God has been on break for an entire year now, watching, listening, waiting and wondering what might happen to the world. I know, I know, my logical mind says, Pastor Mike, that is ridiculous. But my heart and my soul and the world around me and all the people that I know continue to sing together, hey, we're still waiting for our life to get back to normal again. Well, if you can allow yourself only for a moment to believe that God is still on the job, and that you and I are still called, we're equipped, and empowered each day to be excited, creative, and diligent kingdom builders for God in the world, then you can certainly wrap your head around this week's Eastertide message, Chasing the World. So stick with me for a few moments, okay? Let's take a look. Because if we truly are kingdom builders, what I'm saying today is this, we better stand ready to chase the world. I'm reading today from the 15th chapter of the book of Acts, from a new version of the Bible actually, it's called the the CSB, the CSB, the Contemporary Standard Bible. Some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. Well, after Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in serious argument and debate, Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem and meet with them about this issue. When they had been sent out on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and they brought great joy to all the brothers and sisters. When they had arrived at Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the believers there who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, stood up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders gathered to consider this important matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, I'm sure he said sisters as well. But remember, the brothers were the decision-makers. The brothers were the ones in charge. You are aware that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have ever been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in the same way that they are. The whole assembly became silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul describe all the signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they stopped speaking, James responded, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has reported how God first intervened to take from the Gentiles a people for his name. And the words of the prophets agree with this as it is written, Quote, After these things I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. I will rebuild its ruins and set it up again, so that the rest of humanity may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, declares the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. This concludes our reading from the book of Acts. Thanks be to God is our response. Okay, now would be a good time for me to say just a few things about the significant and the profound biblical text before us today. Significant? Profound? Important? Graphic? Revealing? Are you kidding me, Pastor Mike? Come on! Most of these biblical historical accounts just pass us by. We kind of do a whole hum as we hear yet one more worn-out Bible story that really has nothing to do with us today in the 21st century, especially those of us who are just trying to get our feet on the ground again after all this pandemic stuff that's been going on for well over a year. But is that really true? Does it really have nothing to do with us? as modern-day Christians, as modern-day faithful followers of Jesus himself. Friends, this incident shared today, this is an an event in the life of the young faith community, which is another major turning point in the development of the thriving, out-of-the-box, radical, contemporary, creative young church. The current leaders of the already existing Jewish faith community, especially in Jerusalem, they insisted on doing things the same old way and while knowing, all well knowing, that the rules and the regulations of the Mosaic Law were impossible to fulfill. Here's a note from the Enduring Word Commentary which unpacks this much debated issue. And this is a good little summary for those of us who are not who've heard this, but were not real familiar with what was actually going on here. These Jewish Christians came to the congregation in Antioch and taught that Gentiles may become Christians. Now, remember, a Gentile is a non-Jewish person. But only after first becoming Jews and submitting to all Jewish rituals, including circumcision, it was very difficult for some Jewish Christians to accept that Gentiles could be brought into the church as equal members without first coming through the law of Moses. It was one thing to accept the occasional god into the church, someone already in sympathy with the Jewish ways. But it was quite another thing to welcome large numbers of Gentiles who had no regard for the Mosaic law and no intention of ever keeping it. Close quotes. You know, I can just hear them now, and so can you. Well, we've never done it that way before. You know, we have to keep doing things the same old, orthodox, traditional way, because we must follow the Torah, which is spelled out by God himself. We must follow the old ways, because God said so. Really? Really? Was it clearly God who said that things could never change? Okay. So if the old guard here in this story, and believe me, this is only one story of the old guard, they're still stuck in the mud, then what are the apostles, the faithful followers of this Jesus of Nazareth guy, what are they doing? if they're not willing to remain stuck in the mud, friends, the apostles are chasing the world. The apostles are chasing the world. The apostles are clearly moving swiftly behind Jesus as kingdom builders with exciting, fresh, new ideas. In fact, remember that in their culture and within the current state of what we would have called the organized church of their day, the disciples of Jesus, were misfits. They were way too far out of the box, and and, and what they were doing was actually dangerous, even considered to be blasphemy by many. Yes, the apostles were radical in what they were proposing, and they were clearly rebels with the cause. Yet, thousands, my friends, thousands of people were being converted by the power of the Holy Spirit and were dropping their lives and following them. You know, you can bet that for them, it's as if they were reinventing the wheel all over again. Let me give you just a few short examples. Right here in the sanctuary, in the sanctuary downtown Yuma, we've had a concern with the projector. The bulb has been burned out and the slides, the ability to project slides has been impossible. Well, the projector was repaired. And then we realized we had to do a software update. That was necessary to coordinate the slides for the in-person worship experience. Specifically, hear me now, we had to update all the software on the computers in the sanctuary, downtown Yuma, specifically for full liturgy participation for our very faithful Zoom family. Remember that Zoomers, do you know what they want the most? Sure, they want clear audio, they want clear and vivid video and pictures, they want all that, but what they really want is a full and complete relationship with their gathered church community. Second example, Mr. G's Mexican Restaurant, downtown Yuma. If you're hearing this and you're in Yuma, yeah, that's the one down the street on 4th Avenue and about 5th Street or so. Wow, what a great example of bravely moving into a brand new world. That double drive through that they have now is state-of-the-art, my friends. In fact, I predict that in Yuma, Arizona, they are pioneering restaurant giants. They courageously spent a ton of money and stepped out of the box in the middle of a pandemic to not put in just a new remodeled drive through friends, but a double drive through outstanding, brave, courageous, an example of chasing the world. Lastly, the apostles that are spoken of in this scriptural incident that I just read to you, the apostles and their thousands of new converts were attempting the impossible. They were trying to be a newfangled church-type faith community in the first century not only in the first century, but they were trying to do this in the heart and soul of Orthodox Hebrew religious life. Jerusalem. Israel. Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. Now, keep in mind, friends, that the Bible also speaks of the other areas, Asia Minor, for example, where the Apostle Paul preached and taught and started churches. Remember, the Greeks had a menagerie of gods, and they actually invited another god into their polytheistic religious world. I mean, why not? What the heck? It's convenient. It's useful to have another god to pray to. But the Hebrews? The Jews? No way. Their understanding of the Torah did not have room for Jesus of Nazareth. Their understanding of the Torah had room for only one God. Remember the Shema? The Shema in Deuteronomy clearly says, quote, the Lord is one. There's only one God. And that God was and still always would be Yahweh. I am who I am. The God of Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses. The God of Ruth, Solomon, and David. The very same God who brought back to Jerusalem Nehemiah and Ezra to rebuild the holy city and consequently to revive and renew the temple worship that had been missing for hundreds of years. You Bible gurus, you understand what we're saying here, right? Think about it. What the apostles were proposing and what they were already doing, remember, by now they'd converted thousands of people. The who, the when, the how, the where, and the why of worshiping and honoring God was swiftly, radically, dangerously, and completely changing. And it was all happening in real time right in front of them. Want to check me on this? Please do. Take five minutes. Open your Bible to the New Testament. Reread Jesus' visit with the Samaritan woman at the well in John's Gospel, chapter 4. That very short cameo sums up exactly what we're talking about here. Every dimension of the Jewish religious life in the first century was being turned upside down and stood on its ear. The Apostle John does a masterful job of telling the story of a crazy, newfangled, double-drive-through religion already up and running on a sleepy little street in downtown Yuma. Okay, let me give you one more very graphic and interesting story. Take another five minutes. Turn your pages back just a little bit and reread Jesus' shadowy visit with Nicodemus in the third chapter of John's Gospel. That short cameo, friends, graphically reveals that prominent, iconic, Church leaders of that day knew full well they were missing crucial dimensions about who God was and how God was acting in the world around them. And it was high time for them to start chasing the world, or they would be left behind. But keep reading. Nicodemus had far more detractors than he had companions willing to travel the dangerous and exciting road that followed Jesus of Nazareth. So before we get bogged down anymore in Pastor Mike's version of Church History 101, exactly what is the main message for today? What are we talking about? And more importantly... As the Baptists, the Presbyterians, the Lutherans, and the Catholics get all the best seats at our favorite restaurants, why is Pastor Mike so convinced that Kingdom Builders, as Kingdom Builders, we must stand ready to chase the world? You know, I gotta admit, I often find it's much easier and more comfortable to be a stick-in-the-mud and cling to my old ways, my steady, predictable, very controllable ways, which often, you might even say most often, prove to be insufficient and ineffective, especially in the long run. And because it takes much less effort, I'm willing to settle for less, and I'm even willing to become lazy at times. But friends, look! Go back and look at this story. Go back and read the Gospel of John, chapter 4, chapter 3. Go back and read the the whole book of Acts, if you have to. You're going to see the outpouring of exciting new and creative growth happening in this vivacious faith community. The beginnings of the church sprouting creative new life as we see it unfold before us in the book of Acts. You know, Those apostles, those followers of Jesus, those thousands, they knew that in order to faithfully follow Jesus, they had to chase the world. They had to be willing to allow the creativity of God's Holy Spirit to teach them, to challenge them to their their very core, and to lead them into places no one had ever been before. Yeah, I know, it sounds like Star Trek, but that's exactly what we're talking about today. So what does it mean to be a kingdom builder? To be a kingdom builder means that I'm willing to chase the world. What does it mean to be a kingdom builder? To be a kingdom builder, it means I am willing to leave behind me worn out, dusty, obsolete ideas and methods. And if needed, I'm even willing to bravely go into the future chasing the world. Yes to go bravely, to bravely go where no church has ever gone before. Let me summarize. And then we're going to conclude this message. Chasing the world is this. Newfangled ideas, contemporary, exciting, vivacious, life-giving ideas are just waiting to be discovered and faithfully and wisely developed and implemented right here at Yuma First. Chasing the world also means that there are contemporary, maybe even dangerous solutions to the challenges that we face in our modern times. What does it mean to chase the world? Let me give you a personal example from Wendy, Michael, and Brownie. The three of us have been dreaming about some new... Funky furnishings. We're calling them some new world, new ways ideas for creatively and curiously furnishing our home, the home that we own in Sun Lakes, Arizona, the home that we're moving to in just a few weeks. We all know there are creative solutions all around us if we look, if we have the courage to dangerously and courageously and faithfully step out in faith. Okay. Allow me to leave you with this guiding thought for the week. There's no question that exciting new life is coming to Yuma First Church. Yep, Pastor Mike Wilkerson is coming to Yuma in just a few weeks. And that's really exciting stuff. You know, I wonder. And hear me, because I'm inviting you today to wonder with me. What crisp, new, radical, dangerous, out-of-the-box, and life-changing things does God have planned? For Pastor Mike Wilkerson, right here at Yuma First in Yuma, Arizona. And lastly, one question for each of us here today. Knowing that I'm called, knowing that I'm empowered and equipped by God to bravely change the world for good, what's it going to take for me to assist, to walk with Pastor Mike Wilkerson, to recreate, renew, and rebuild God's kingdom at Yuma First. And what will be my specific role as we do things together, as God shapes and forms and recreates a brand new version of Yuma First United Methodist Church right here in Yuma, Arizona. In what way will I commit to and follow through with being God's kingdom builder as I courageously chase the world. Am I even ready to chase the world for God's glory, for God's praise, and for God's honor? Send me, O God. Send me, too, to chase the world. Send me now, O God, to chase the world. Amen.